Bibles, first to the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 22 through 38. You'll find that on page 766 in your pew Bible. And if you want to mark that one with your finger, turn over to Acts 2, verses 36 through 41. And we'll be picking up this reading, which is from the account of the day of Pentecost sermon. What happened after the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? That's page 967. But we begin on page 766, Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 38. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. Like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days, so shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. And then continuing the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 2, 
verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. O Lord God, open our hearts to hear your word. Send your spirit among us that we may live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus Christ poured out in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, upon the church on the day of Pentecost. And the result was that Christ's church was empowered to witness to the name of Jesus, as Jesus had commanded when he was ascended into heaven. The Jewish feast of Pentecost was 50 days after the Old Testament feast of Passover, which works out to 49 days, seven weeks after Easter for us. It was a feast celebrated by the Apostle Paul after the resurrection, as we read in Acts 20 and 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was preceded by the ascension of Jesus into heaven 40 days after his resurrection. And we read in Acts 1.8, just before he was ascended, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here in Queensbury, we are included in that ends of the earth. We are recipients of the Holy Spirit's power to witness in Christ's name. Here in Queensbury, we are those who need the same thing that those Jews in Jerusalem needed. We need the spirit of the living God, and so does our community. We will consider today that need for the spirit of God as it's summarized in the hymn, Spirit of the Living God, fall fresh on me, with which we will conclude our service. And it's four petitions to God are break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. So let's consider those themes as we also find them in Acts 2 and Ezekiel 36. And let us discover this morning afresh and anew how the spirit of the living God will change us as he changed those 3,000 who received the word of God that the apostle Peter preached. 
So begin with me. Break me. Something's wrong with me. Acts 2, 36, 37. A quick word about that phrase, break me. It's not even found in the modern versions of the hymn. It is found in the Trinity hymnal. But the modern versions of the hymn begin with the words melt me. Because break me just sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? A little bit tough for modern contemporary Christian music. Break me? Yeah, that's the way that Daniel Ever Iverson wrote it. The pastor of the Shenandoah Presbyterian Church in Miami, Florida. And I have it from Bill Iverson personally, a friend of mine with whom I worked in New Jersey, that he much prefers the original than the watered down melt me, mold me, fill me, and they add another one at the end, use me. Bill Iverson assures me, look, if the Holy Spirit fills you, he's going to use you. You don't have to talk about that. The question is, will you be broken by God? Will you be truly and soundly converted? For with no conversion, there is no spirit, and you shall be of no use to anyone at all. This church, Shenandoah Presbyterian Church, was a plant, a plant made by God's word, working with the spirit of the living God. And this pastor, Daniel Iverson, and three of his children all attended Columbia Theological Seminary, a son by the name of Ned, a daughter by the name of Lala, a medical missionary who went off to serve in Japan and started InterVarsity Fellowship with my father in Johns Hopkins University back in the 30s. And then Bill Iverson himself. We worked with Bill in New Jersey, and we were happy to see that the fruit of his father's ministry was an inspiration to all of us in the inner city up there in New Jersey. Five or ten of our members were sent off to worship with Bill as he revived and was used by God to renew a ministry at Trinity Reformed in downtown Newark, New Jersey. And he uh, carried on there with a fruitful ministry for about a decade. And this church in Miami, in which he grew up, was just a powerhouse. There were uh, 4,000 people who were converted to Jesus in their original dance hall right there in Miami. And it was a seedbed, excellent Christian education program. Hundreds and hundreds of children and adults ministered to every Sunday morning. And it was a, like a leadership academy. There were 150 men and women who went into full-time ministry through that church in the local church here in America and even into the missions field. As we consider this legacy of faithfulness that came from the author of this hymn, we've got to consider that it began with the breaking of pride in the human heart by the Holy Spirit. And we need to consider the fact that this brokenness is something that goes on in the families that are used by God. The covenant family is a powerful force for good in God's church. I think of the Aubrey family over in Fort Ann, 
who have a sincere testimony to their need of salvation personally, each one of them, and have produced two missionaries living overseas, a church planter in Granville, and a gaggle of gospel-loving sons and daughters who are committed to Christ and working in the local church right here in Warren and Washington counties. What is it that has moved these families, families like the Aubreys, like the Iversons, to move their children and as parents to be devoted to the work of God? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. These are people who are ready to be serious and clear about sin. And this is what we see in chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Peter had preached from God's word. They were hearing a Holy Spirit-filled sermon. We see the move of the Spirit in chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These were understandable tongues. It wasn't a glossolalia, which is not understandable to anybody. It was an understandable foreign language, and they were given these languages that they could communicate with the many Jews from around the world who had come back to Jerusalem for that Pentecost feast. And we see in verse 12 of chapter 2, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this be? And verse 11, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Well, God continued to speak through Peter so that they could understand. They could understand their need of a Savior. And they were cut to the heart. Now, why were they cut to the heart? The sermon, which begins in verses 22 and concludes in verse 35 and 36, was a sermon that established first that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Christ because he was the fulfillment in Psalm 16 of the act of uh, the, the resurrection, that his body would not see decay. David, who wrote that psalm, was decaying in the grave right there in Jerusalem. He pointed it out. But Jesus was raised from the dead. His body did not see decay. So he was the fulfillment to be that holy one, which was the messianic figure who was predicted throughout the Old Testament. Also, Peter established that he was the Lord because he was proven to be the Lord as the one who poured out from the right hand of the Father the gift of the Holy Spirit. All these manifestations in chapter 2. The sound from heaven as of a rushing wind. Those tongues as a fire that sat on each of the apostles. And this uh, giving of other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They had seen that. And that was proof that there was a Lord Christ at the right hand of the Father, and he was the fulfillment then of Psalm 110, where it says the Lord was at the right hand of the Lord. And this came about, and this proof was concluded and summarized in verse number 36. If you look there, Acts 2.36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now that's where it gets personal. That's where it gets real. Because they have now heard that the Jesus who they sent off to Pilate to be crucified was not just an itinerant rabbi with some extreme views. He was the Christ, and he was the Lord. And they were in trouble because they had put to death God's appointed Messiah. It's that realization of conviction that they had done something horrific in the sight of God that brought them to this moment of conviction. They were cut to the heart. I was talking to a man one time who bought a King James Version Bible in a downtown bookstore. God had been working in his life. And he said, I better get a copy of that book. And all they had was the old KJV. It's a fine Bible. It has the truth. And he brought it home and he started reading it. And he said to his wife, he went to his wife, Honey, if this book is true, and I surely think it is, we are in trouble. And that's the first moment of conviction. That's the moment of conviction that comes by the Holy Spirit from John 16. I will send the helper, and that helper is the Holy Spirit. He is the counselor. He is the comforter. But you know the way he works? He convicts the world of sin. And I want to say to you, my dear friend, if you want to change in your life, if you want to have a life that's filled with the Spirit and His joy, you must first be cut to the heart. And that's what the hymn is saying. Break me when you are cut. Skin and flesh is being broken up. Even as Jesus' body was broken on the tree. He died as that spear proved it. He had died before the spear went in. But you need to be crucified. You need the old man put to death with Christ. And I ask you, have you come to the end of yourself? Elder Eldred Page would say that. He was one of the founding elders of the church. Have you come to the end of yourself? That's what these men are saying Men and brethren, what shall we do? Will you be broken? Will you say to the Lord, break me? If you haven't been broken yet, say it today, break me. Because I need help. The second phrase in the hymn is melt me. I need change. I need you, Holy Spirit, to work a change in my life. It's not enough to know that there's something wrong. You need to know that there is a way out with Jesus as the Holy Spirit works in your life. If you look at the text, chapter 2 of Acts, it says in verse 38, in direct answer to the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. But what if I don't want to repent? What if I enjoy my sin too much? What if I don't want to change? What if I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to give up my sin? Well, let me tell you something. You can't take your sin with you into heaven. 
You can't feed your flesh your whole life without repentance and end up in a holy heaven. We need what the Bible calls and what the men studied yesterday morning at breakfast to be a true repentance. And God grants repentance unto life, as Acts 11.18 puts it. When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God when they had seen a group of people uh, get the Holy Spirit. They glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. If you don't want to repent, call out to God with grief and sorrow. Give me a heart to repent. I need that gift of repentance. Give me a new mind to see things differently. You see, literally, that's what repentance means. Meta, noeo. Meta means new. Noeo means thinking or perception or understanding. You need a new view of reality. If you never got this Jesus thing, if you never understood why your husband was so committed, or if you never understood why your wife was so full of Jesus, ask God for a repentant heart and a new mind that will give you insight as to the nagging discontent in your life. That you know things aren't what they should be, but you've never taken the step of repenting of you being the center of your life instead of Jesus being at the center. Basically, we're asking God, give me a new mind to see things differently, and then also a new heart to commit to things differently. And this is a work of the Spirit of God as we need the Spirit to break us and convict us of sin in the first point. We need the Spirit to give us this new heart to believe. If you turn over with me to Ezekiel chapter 36, 25 to 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. You see the melting going on there. It's a heart of stone that becomes a heart of flesh. That's a melting process. It's something getting soft. It's a new heart. God gives us a new heart that we would believe and cleansed, cleansed of our filthiness and given a heart to serve God. Come out of the filthiness of your sin. Stop pursuing the idols of this world. Receive the new heart, a heart of flesh to believe. Go from something hard to something pliable, from a spiritual heart that is sclerotic. They call it sclerosis, cardiac sclerosis. That's when everything gets stiff in there, hardened tightened, unable to change. You, you can't cope with the stresses of your day. And when you push it too hard one day, the sclerotic heart just has a heart attack because it can't adapt. It's hardened. It can't pump like it used to. 
Well, there's a spiritual heart too. And it gets sclerotic. It's hardened. Doesn't want to change. Doesn't want to adapt to God's truth. I'm content with my life. I'm content with my politics. I'm content with my home. I'm content with my bank account. I'm content with my family. Where's the change needed? Be ready for the big one. You ever hear about the big one? That's the heart attack that takes you out physically. Well, the big one's coming for the spiritual heart too. And if you get the big one, and you've never been saved, you will go to hell. Repent. Come to God. Ask him, give me a new heart. Melt my heart. And receive, as it says in verse number 38 of chapter 2 of Acts. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the third point. Mold me. Shape me. You see, I think the gift of the Holy Spirit there is the Spirit which is bringing us the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has already been working. Every believer who ever lived in Abraham, in Adam, all through the Old Testament, you do not believe without the work of the Holy Spirit. But there's something going on here that's marvelous on the day of Pentecost. Not only does the Spirit bring the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, but now, in this era of salvation history, the Spirit is bringing to every believer a gift to be exercised in his church. And so when you believe and when the spirit is moved in your life, then you get this spirit. I will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit to serve as Peter was serving that day by preaching, as others were serving in other ways. Now, mold me, shape me, give me the character of Christ. And that's the fruit. I think personally the fruit of the spirit is way underemphasized in modern Christianity. We seem to have a preoccupation with what is my gift? What am I supposed to do? You notice that? That's, it's like a very man-centered thing. I gotta discover my gift, and pastor, you gotta give me a place to use that gift in your church. I'd say, maybe we better start thinking about using our gifts in our everyday life and proving ourselves as a faithful servant and then coming even into the fellowship of Christ church to discern our gifts and discern them with the help of the body of Christ and not declare that, oh, this is my gift, so I better be able to use it here. No, giftedness follows the fruit of the Spirit where we come into this patience and this love and this kindness and this self-control which is developing the Christ-like character in our heart. If you take a look in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36, you'll see the lack of the self-centeredness there. It's God who gets the glory. It's God who is going to do his work through us. And so we're not so concerned about getting the affirmation 
that I'm using my gift. Ezekiel 36, 22 says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. This is taking us out of the center of salvation history and putting God at the center of salvation history. He says it is for my sake that I'm saving you, that my name would not be profaned in the nations. There are so many Christians in the visible church who aren't living as Christians, and that's a disgrace to the church. It's a disgrace to Christ, and it's a disgrace to God that their evil behaviors are associated with the name of God. And he says, I won't have that anymore. I'm sending my spirit. I want you revived. We're talking about a revival Friday. We're talking about a move of God that is true revival when he sovereignly sends his spirit. We can't cook up revival. We're not going to see God work on Friday unless God has been working today in his church to bring us to repentance. That we would be reformed and transformed. That is when God is going to move in and do his reviving work of his spirit among us. We need to be molded after Christ and put God at the center of our salvation. And how is that going to look if you take a look at 32? We see another God-centered text, verse 32. Not for your sake I do this, says the Lord God. This is Ezekiel 36, 32. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O his house of Israel. He's basically saying, if it was up to you, all we're going to get is shame and confusion. Okay? If you're claiming that you're at the center of the story, that's the end game. Confusion and shame. But then it says in verse 33, Thus says the Lord, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities. And the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Do you remember last week we talked about the fact that God protected Adam and Eve by cutting off the tree of life from them when they had entered into this time of difficult living, pain and childbirth and toil and sweat and all their labor. God did not want them to eat of the tree of life in that state, the fallen state. So he drove them out of the garden. We also saw the second reason is that God had a desire for his image to be spread around the globe, just as he had commanded in Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28 and 29. And so now they are going out, both of them as believers, as we made the point last week. And they went out so that being transformed by the Holy Spirit, 
they could so live to his glory, conform to God's image, that they would bring glory to God around the earth. And that's what happens when people are converted. That's what happens when the church is gathered. When we see the church gathered as a transformed people, we are reflecting God's glory wherever that church is planted, whether it's Irian Jaya or whether it's in Japan or whether it's right here in Saratoga, Warren, and Washington County. And that temple, according to 1 Corinthians 3, is you. It's very individual. Wherever you go, you carry that temple. But it is also corporate, as we learn from Ephesians 2, 18 through 20, that God is building up his temple in the church. And I want to call you today to be those who are molded in character to Christ and also shaped for his service to spread his glory around this globe. This we have a part in as we support these missionaries, that we have a part in their ministry and the spreading. And finally, we see, fill me. I need the Spirit. I need the Spirit. It says in Ezekiel 36, 27, and 28, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes that you will keep my judgments and do them. And it becomes a joy. As one of our members, our deacon said yesterday at the breakfast, it's a transformation that the law of God is transformed from something that I hate to something that I love because God has given me the spirit to live into it. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me that we would be those, as it says here, who want to walk in God's statutes and keep his judgments and do them. We are filled, and we are refilled. We have to be filled because we're leaky Christians. It says in verse 18 of Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. We need an ongoing filling of the Holy Ghost. We never lose the Holy Ghost that saved us, but in terms of his filling for our giftedness and our service of him, we need an ongoing filling in our walk with God. Even as we gather for worship, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and even as we use our gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. That's how you show that you are not at the center, that your gifts are used sensitively with wisdom for the benefit of all. Come today, break, say break me, melt me, mold me, fill me. You think about what happened in Dan Iverson's life. He planted this church down in Miami. His children all went off to serve the Lord. And uh, Bill Iverson was a roommate of Kennedy Smart down at Davidson College. He was a, a friend, uh, a fraternity brother down there. When they both got into their first churches, Bill Iverson was called for a special series of sermons in a, a week of witness at K-12. 
Kennedy Smarts Church. And Bill and Kennedy went out and they began to use a dialogical form of interaction. If, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and you said, God said to you, what do you need to do? Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Would it be your works? Or would it be Christ's work at the cross? Well, Kennedy Smart also knew D. James Kennedy. And D. James Kennedy is the man who brought Bill Griffin into a reformed understanding of the faith. And he was just starting his ministry there in Coral Ridge. And when D. James Kennedy uh, was speaking and bringing messages, he also went out and visited in the neighborhood with Kennedy Smart. And Kennedy Smart passed on to D. James Kennedy what he had learned from Bill Iverson, this interactive way of communicating. This is all on the Evangelism Explosion website. And that message of bringing Christ to your neighborhood through door-to-door -door visitation and through your own personal interactions with your loved ones, that is a message that exploded through the ministry of evangelism explosion. And now we've got Bill Griffin right here. He's back in Coral Ridge Church. He's back serving the Lord there. Look at the providence that's going on here now. God has brought to his church great servants like Bill Iverson, Dan Iverson, Kennedy Smart. And God is bringing a message of renewal and hope to this church through an unprofitable servant. That's my name, unprofitable servant. And I'm just encouraging you to take this Pentecost Sunday and use it as an opportunity for you to say to God, do you have some breaking to do? You might have been a Christian for many years, but that breaking process doesn't end. We still need to be broken of besetting sins and, and fruitless attitudes. We need to be broken. We need to be melted. Our heart needs to be tenderized again to the priorities of the gospel and to hurting people around us. We need to be molded, shaped after Christ, and filled by the Spirit of the living God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this day. Break us. Melt us. Shape us after your Son, Jesus. And fill us for your service.